The word of God from Matthew 4, 12 through 5, 1. Jesus' ministry expands to Galilee. When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria. So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good. All right. Here we go. Uh, good morning. My name is Jeff Lynn. I'm one of the pastors here. I have the pleasure of bringing God's word to you today, and I'm very excited about it. Love seeing you all on this beautiful winter Sunday morning. Modern storytelling has given us a lot of wonderful origin stories, like Solo in the Star Wars series. Um, Others I think of a Better Call Saul. Uh, several in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, wonderful stories that even though we know a character pretty well, when we find out how they got started, it really adds a lot. In the Bible, if you know the story of the Exodus, God's people coming out of Egypt, that's amazing. The, the miracles and the uh, all the things there that pass over, all those things that happen for the, for the Israelites to be able to, to leave. But when you know the story of Joseph, the origin story of how they wound up in Egypt in the first place, how he was sold by his brothers, and God or, or orchestrated all of those events, it really adds a lot of impact to the story. How the story starts sets the tone for the entire journey or the story. Now next week, we're going to begin the sermons that focus on the content of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, but we're going to set up, set up the context of those sermons today to get the background, to set the stage, or to switch analogies. We're going to set the table first with the proper plates and silverware and glasses before we sit down to the feast that is to come. And the context we're in today is Matthew 4. Is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry as 
uh, Brittany read for us. You'd be helped to follow along in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, the one in front of you on page 857 is the text for this. And if you're not used to looking at a Bible, uh, it's divided into chapters and verses just to make it easier to, to find things. The large number is the chapter, the smaller numbers are the verses. Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, wrote this particular book of the Bible. And, and in it, between chapter 4, verse 11, and chapter 4, verse 12, he leaves out about a year of Jesus' life. It's as if, if you, if you only read Matthew, it just, the next day is what you think. But that's really not what happened. The book of John completes the story of what happens between verse 11 and verse 12. In that time, Jesus speaks with Nicodemus and we get John 3.16. He cleanses the temple. He speaks with the Samaritan woman at the well. He performs some miracles, uh, begins to irritate the Jewish leaders, but it's all on a pretty small scale, not very widespread. Not a lot of people know about Jesus until we get to where we're going today. And today we'll see that his exposure and his influence starts to spread. He spreads geographically, culturally, and spiritually. So what do we see Jesus doing in this text today? We see Jesus revealing. We see Jesus proclaiming. We see Jesus inviting. And we see Jesus healing. So let's look at each of these one by one. So first we see Jesus revealing. As we enter the text, we see Jesus revealing himself as the fulfillment of ancient prophecies. As Brittany read, and I, and I will read again, he tells us that Jesus withdrew to Galilee, and Matthew tells us this was to fulfill a prophecy given by Isaiah hundreds of years earlier. Listen to Isaiah 9. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to the Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Now that reference to the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali goes all the way back to when God gave the Israelites possession of that land and those two tribes were given that area. Over the courses of hundreds of years, those, there was a lot of influx from Assyrians, Babylonians. There were a lot of Gentiles in this area, uh, as much Gentile influence as Jewish influence. And because of that, the word of God was not as prominent in this area as it was further south uh, in, in Judea, close, closer to Jerusalem. So this was a land of darkness that Jesus is coming into. And it says that it goes to Galilee. Galilee was a fishing village, uh, or it was an area with a lot of fishing villages, rather. Um, Jesus grew up in Nazareth, and about 40 miles north of there is Capernaum, where, as the text says, it's where he's going to. This is where he makes his base from for his ministry. 
A lot of trade routes in this area, a lot of fishing going on. This Sea of Galilee that you see, it's, it's not actually a sea, it's a huge lake. Um, so Jesus geographically is moving at this time from Nazareth to Galilee. He's moving culturally from an area of predominant Jewishness to an area of mixed, lots of Gentiles in the area. And as we'll see, he's making a move spiritually. The text from Isaiah that is quoted here that talks about this area, a little bit further down in this chapter in Isaiah, listen to these words that are very familiar. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The, the dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. So these verses from Isaiah that tie in here to the text in Matthew paints a vivid picture of Jesus as a light that dispels the shadows. This is the revelation of divine truth and salvation. The gospel begins with the unveiling of Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promises, the light of the world. Now this Jesus that's going to preach the Sermon on the Mount that we'll start digging into next week is himself divine truth and salvation. He's not some upstart, rogue preacher who figured out a populist message to gather the crowds and gain a platform. The Nicene Creed that we use at times in our statement of faith, in our profession of faith, summarizes the Bible's teachings about Jesus like this. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. So the teachings of Jesus, we're going to hear in the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7, illuminate the eternal light that descended from heaven to enlighten our lives. It's evident from both the Bible and from our personal experiences that humanity often prefers darkness over light. So I invite you now, reflect on how this truth resonates with you today. Are there aspects of your life that you would rather keep in the dark and not illuminated to the light? Perhaps it involves a history of personal sins, struggles, failures that currently just bring up constant embarrassment and shame in your mind. Maybe it encompasses past experiences of hurt and suffering, instances where you were shamed or mistreated by others, and the fear of exposing those others to that light will potentially further give you more shame and pain. Or it could be the negative beliefs instilled by those close to you, individuals meant to love and care for you, but instead they subjected you to verbal abuse, leading you to believe hurtful and false 
things about yourself. The apprehension of bringing these things into the light may stem from a worry that they may be true. But here's the truth, and this is a comforting truth. Jesus is the true light that has entered the world, offering light and life to every individual. When Jesus is the light, there's no need to fear it. He already knows your sins, your sufferings, your failings, your hurts. His knowledge goes beyond mere awareness because he has experienced the complexities and the brokenness of human life having been sinned against without having sinned himself. He was mistreated, misunderstood, yet he remains the light. So the question arises, are you willing to step into the light? What would that look like for you? What invitation might God be extending to you, prompting you to experience Jesus as the light? It may involve opening up to a trusted friend in your life group or seeking guidance from one of the pastors to share your story. Where Jesus is the light, there's nothing to fear. He reveals the heart of God for sinners and sufferers. So a final connection between Jesus revealing and preaching in Matthew 5 through 7. As Jesus delivers his teaching, his purpose is to unveil and expose the darkness in which we unknowingly reside. In response, we're encouraged to run towards that light, allowing Jesus to expose our hearts. This exposure prompts repentance, a turning away from darkness, and a turning towards him, the light from light, God from God who has come to bring us deliverance and salvation. We see Jesus revealing the light. And secondly, we see him proclaiming. In verse 17, the gospel message echoes from the ages as Jesus proclaims, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This proclamation is at the core of the gospel a call to turn away from sin and embrace the reality of God's kingdom breaking into our lives. So what is this word repent? What does that mean? Well, it's not attrition, which simply means having regret over consequences. Um, There usually are consequences for sin and we should have regret over those consequences. But that's not repentance. Repentance is contrition, real remorse. And I would refer you to Psalm 51 to get a definition of David praying to God, confessing and repenting. There's some key elements of biblical repentance. It's recognizing sin, a genuine acknowledgement and recognition of one's sinful thoughts, actions, or lifestyle, a sorrow for sin, a deep and sincere sorrow or remorse for the wrongdoing, not just a fear of the consequences, but a genuine grief over having offended God. Confession. Repentance involves confessing sins to God, admitting them openly, and seeking forgiveness. It may also involve seeking reconciliation with others when our actions have harmed them. Forsaking sin is part of repentance. 
turn, it's marked by a commitment to turn away from sinful behaviors and attitudes. It's not just a momentary regret, but a sustained effort to live differently. Turning toward God also. It involves turning towards God, seeking his guidance, forgiveness and grace, and a desire to align one's life with God's purposes and following his commands. And in our context, it involves faith in Jesus Christ. We trust in Christ's atonement for the forgiveness of sins, and we rely on his grace for transformation. Biblical repentance is not just a one-time event, but it's an ongoing process of growth and renewal. It's continually turning away from sinful patterns and a pursuit of a life that honors God. Now here in context, we see Jesus revealing, Jesus proclaiming, and thirdly, we will see it Jesus inviting. Look at verses 18 to 22, Brittany, as she read for us previously. He extends a personal invitation to individuals like Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Come, follow me. In this case, it's not just an invitation, it's a divine summons of discipleship. Jesus is inviting them into a new way of life, into a journey of following him as master. And he invites the unlikeliest followers, wouldn't you agree? Sometimes it's the, those who we least expect here in the text. These were just ordinary fishermen. I enjoy a lot of different kinds of music. I enjoy country music, for one, classic country. One of the artists that I enjoy is Jamie Johnson. I was able to see him in concert a few years ago. He has a, his most popular song is called In Color. He's a great songwriter, and that's a great song. I encourage you to check it out. But I was at the, at the show and um, waiting for the, him to start, and this group of guys came on the stage that looked like would have been just random guys picked out from a truck stop at 2 in the morning. Um, just, they weren't dressed up. They just looked pretty rough. Um, and I'm thinking, well, that's the rest of the road crew. They're, they're just adding some things on. They're just um, um, getting, getting ready for the band to come on. And then they started settling into the, behind the instruments, and, and the lights went dark, the lights came up, and they're still there, and they're the band. And they were amazing musicians. It was unlikely to me that this was the band. So let me challenge you, who in your circle of friends, etc., acquaintances, would be an unlikely disciple? Who is someone that you thought, I don't think they would ever be a follower of Jesus. I don't think they would ever become a Christian. So let me let this text remind you and remind me that he calls the unlikely, the common, even those who might say they hate him. And let me encourage us all to be praying that those unlikelies will be called by Jesus to himself. But maybe you yourself are unlikely. Maybe you're here today, you're just 
checking out Jesus and Christianity. You're not convinced that Jesus is the light. You don't, you don't believe that you should turn from your sins and trust only in him. So let me ask you, who or what is your light? What is your truth? Who are the voices you're listening to? Where is deliverance and satisfaction and hope to be found according to those voices? How's that working for you? Jesus, the Jesus who literally altered the trajectory of humanity since his birth, invites you, proclaims to you, preaches to you, come to me. I have light. I have life. The kingdom of heaven has come near because I'm here. God is willing to dwell with man through and because of me. Will you listen to him? Will you follow him? Or maybe you've grown up in church. But church to you and therefore religion is not much more than what happens on a Sunday. It's relegated to a list of rules, do's and don'ts. But Jesus is inviting you away from a cultural Christianity that is merely a surface level facade to a moment of true heart exposure. He wants you to turn directly towards him and orient your whole life around him. Or maybe you're in this third group. Maybe you are following Jesus to the best of your ability, but you're discouraged with the progress you seem to be making towards holiness. Friends, Jesus' invitation to you is the same invitation. Follow me. Keep repenting. Come to me. Keep turning towards him. Keep clinging to him for life because he is the source of the kingdom that you're longing for. And he promises that he will bring you further and further into this kingdom life if you just keep turning to him. So throughout this passage, Jesus is not silent. He's a preacher, a proclaimer of good news. These words are not just teachings, which are simply instruction and explanation but a proclamation of hope, redemption, and transformation. The gospel is a message of profound change and a new beginning. And sojourn, we stand downstream from this invitation. We exist as a church because we have embraced this invitation. And we don't offer something new, something different, something flashy, a better message, a more palatable and winsome product. We proclaim the same message to the world going about its own business. Repent, for God's kingdom is breaking in. And whether you're doing that right here in Hill City or downtown or on Signal Mountain or Lookout Mountain or Tunnel Hill or Ringgold or Saudi Daisy or Dayton or Red Bank, we're all just doing what our Savior did, beckoning to those around us with the message the way the world wants you to live clearly isn't working. So turn from it. Turn towards the one who promises life and light. His kingdom has come and is coming. The immediacy of the disciples' response, leaving their nets and following Jesus, illustrates how compelling that this invitation is. It's a call to leave behind the old, embrace the new, and walk in the footsteps of the Savior. The gospel is not merely a set of beliefs. 
It's an invitation to a transformative relationship with Christ. We've seen Jesus revealing. We see him proclaiming and him inviting. And finally, we see Jesus healing. Let's look into Jesus' healing mercy in verses 23 through 25. He goes throughout Galilee healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now, this is more than just physical healing, although it does include that. It's a manifestation of his divine authority over both physical and spiritual ailments. The healing ministry of Jesus reveals the compassion and the power of our Savior. In the gospel, healing is a tangible expression of God's love, a sign that the kingdom of heaven heaven is breaking into the brokenness of our world. So what does that mean for us today? This, some of us who this minute are actually suffering physically. We have chronic pain, chronic illness, or diagnosed physical suffering. Jesus' transformative presence in your life may not bring physical healing. It may, and it can, but it may not. But this passage remind us, reminds us that Jesus is compassionate towards us and powerful on our behalf. And pain and sickness will never have the last word in the kingdom of the one who has conquered death. God may or may not choose to heal us or our loved ones physically through our prayers. Healing is something God has entrusted to himself, not to us. But we can extend the same compassion that our Lord extended to those who need healing. Here at Sojourn, we often speak of gospel facts and gospel acts. Now, we believe that the only eternal hope we have to share is the fact of the life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus. We also believe that this fact will stir us on to gospel acts, good deeds toward others. Now, our church gathers in this building at 817 North Market Street in an area of Chattanooga known as Hill City. And we don't think it's a coincidence that this is where our church gathers. CityData.com says that in this area, about one square mile, there are over 4,300 residents. The Lord has been very kind to give us favor among our neighbors here. And there are many needs among our neighbors here. So let me encourage you to pray for this neighborhood and join in on opportunities to serve it. The text today is a narrative of a beginning or the origin story of Jesus' public ministry. And this ministry didn't end after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension back to heaven. Jesus continues today to reveal, proclaim, invite, and heal. It's not confined to his historical presence, but actively through his spirit. Matthew 4 directs our attention not only to Jesus' past actions, but also to his ongoing work through the Holy Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit to perpetuate this mission, empowering his church 
to carry it forward. And he reveals himself as the light from light through his people. You, who are described as the light of the world. Proclaiming his kingdom continues through the Spirit's work in the faithful but imperfect churches functioning as embassies of his message. And he still extends invitations to individuals from diverse backgrounds, inviting them to follow him through suffering and cultural challenges. This call is facilitated by his spirit and through the preaching of the word within local church communities. Now the aspect of healing, it remains a vital part of Jesus' character. He continues to be the God of the miraculous. And while immediate physical healing is not explicitly guaranteed by the gospel, the compassion and power exemplified in the earthly healings retain their potency. Furthermore, the promise of future physical healing is assured. Upon encountering Jesus, he will transform the bodies of his followers, mirroring his resurrected body, free from imperfections, pain, sickness, disease, and weakness. Listen to Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. May we respond to this message today with open hearts, embracing the transformative power of Christ in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Help us to see him for who he truly is, our king and the one who invites us to join his kingdom. Lord, help us to respond to your word today. Amen.